Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of White Wine Question Time is being recorded remotely as we ease our way out of lockdown in accordance with government guidelines to ensure the safety of our team and our guests. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is a friend I met and made on the mum beat. We've got kids roughly the same age and we live very locally to one another. At the time that we met, she was a stand-up, gigging constantly whilst juggling nursery runs with her son Frank and daughter Elsie, alongside her husband Ben. And we'd often find ourselves hanging out by the swings in the local park or feeding the ducks like sleep-deprived zombies. Then acting roles started coming in for her thick and fast on shows like Miranda, Rush Hour, Our Girl and Extras. And it was her work on Extras that piqued Ricky Gervais's interest in her, so much so that he went on to cast her as Hannah, the care home manager in Derek, before writing the part of his much-loved dead wife Lisa in the world-beating afterlife, with her always in his mind as his muse. Now, if you've been living under a rock and you've not seen Afterlife, then I urge you to. It is beautifully, epically sad and funny and everything else in between. It's also right now the most watched British comedy in the world and deservedly so. As well as Afterlife, she's also turned in critically acclaimed performances on Lenny James's Save Me and is uh, quite rightly at the moment one of our most in-demand actors as well as continuing to work and tour as a stand-up comedian with new tour dates rescheduled because of the pandemic due to be announced any time soon. So, let me dial her up. It's time to call Kerry Godleyman. The last time I ran into you actually in lockdown, you were literally running and you told me you're not drinking at the minute i thought that was sort of just pre-lockdown because when lockdown hit i did start drinking again a lot of people oh good and it might even have nudged into march yes and then lockdown happened and i was like fuck that get some wine out but now (laughs) i'm a bit more back the teetotal way i'm not drinking as much as i used to that's the point and actually, I've, I've been getting really fit in, in lockdown. What about you? Yeah, I've been doing yoga with Adrian. She's my new little friend. She's my lockdown friend. Do you know her? No, who's that? Yoga with Adrian is like, there was an article about it the other day in The Guardian. And she's like this, she's been going for years. And she's a lovely online yoga teacher. And she's just this cool Texan. And she's funny. And I feel like she's my friend. Is, is it right? Have you got Have you got a timeshare on an allotment? Have I got that right? Uh, I have got an allotment that I share with a mate. So I've had a bit of allotment time. I've got a lovely big garden. And I've done loads of gardening. And I've been doing my yoga. So there are days when I think... Well, this is this is the life I dreamed of. I mean, this is like being on a sort of retreat in your own home. And it can be lovely if you don't read the news and you don't look at the stats and you don't put your head above the parapet. <laughs> <laughs> the minute you go and have a little snoop around the news, it's like, ah! Uh, yeah. It's a global That's... pandemic. But, um, but yeah, there are days when it's, especially when the sun comes out, it can be delightful, can't it? Make Until you start homeschooling. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, homeschooling, it depends, again, which way the wind's blowing. Like, I can Me and Frank have had some lovely times. We've been making all sorts of things, crafting, like, all that. I don't mind all that. In fact, I kind of, I always slightly regretted I couldn't do more of that with him before. Because there's this old world that was really sometimes too busy. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Where you were like, way I don't busy. Really, way too busy. When you sort of text an old friend and go, do you fancy dinner? And they're like, okay, well, I can fit you in for 35 minutes in 2022. And you think, this is mental. This is mental. Tearing around on a weekend, taking your kids to various clubs. Yeah. All that, I don't want that back. I don't want that maniacal, scheduled, lack of spontaneity life back. Yeah. But this is you. too far the other way. <laughs> Yeah, we need a happy medium. We need a happy medium. Okay. I mean, like um, now, the summer's looming. You know that old pre-summer kind of culture whereupon everyone had, had their six weeks all booked up to the hill, you know, and it's like, well, we're going here for that, and then we're going to be camping that, and then we're going to be, doing it, and, and, and I've got the kids in the club, and blah, 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 and now it's like no one knows what they're doing this summer, and I quite like that. But do, do you know what I thought was weird the other day? Because um, obviously, I mean, like, obviously we've all been watching a lot of telly in lockdown. Yes, yeah. And afterlife, I just think, you know, when you look back on lockdown, there'll be two benchmark shows that everybody watched, Normal People and Afterlife. Oh, wow. So, don't you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I can't be objective about it. Yes, I enjoyed Normal People and that was a, a, a standout lockdown show for me. But Afterlife, it's so weird when you're in it because you kind of aren't objective about it. So, and I saw it months and months ago, so I haven't seen it in lockdown. Have you not? And, no. And the impact of it last year was huge. I mean, it was just so massive. And then, and I'm sure that's gone on this year, but it's all in lockdown. So it I must can't... be really weird because you're yeah, going to really emerge weird. from it almost sort of like a butterfly from your caterpillar style <laughs> Chris, <laughs> cocoon. And I was thinking about this for Daisy Edgar Jones and Paul, Paul Mescal as well. It's like suddenly you're going to emerge out of this and everybody is going to have watched you everyone will know who you are now which is yeah weird it is weird a penny drop moment was when because my daughter loves Gogglebox and they were doing Afterlife on Gogglebox and she was like come and watch it come and watch it and then I was watching all them watch that's weird isn't it that was really weird when you're on Gogglebox it was really weird and them all crying and that lovely, I can't remember his name, one of the young lads, and he said, oh, he's meant to be a bloody comedian and I'm pissing crying. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you meant to make me laugh. But that did. That was a real um, moment of realising the impact of Afterlife, was seeing it in that context. And I was like, oh, God, it's big. It's a big show. Ricky posted today that it's the most watched British comedy in the world. That's mad. I can't get my mm. head around that. Because the nature of the way that job came to me was quite breezy as well. Like, you know what it's like in this game. Sometimes you want something with all your heart and you work really hard and you push and you get your elbows out and it might or might not work out. And, you know, and that's kind of just part of the industry. And then there's these other occasions where something just almost doesn't feel real. It comes in so breezily. Like Ricky literally said, oh, I've got this idea. And do you want to be my wife? She's dead. And... I was a bit like, yeah, all right. And I didn't quite understand that it was a real job. And then that has manifested to be this most watched British comedy show, which is sort of incongruous in a way, because you go, what? <laughs> How did I that? know. It's kind of mad. And when we film well, it, it's very relaxed and fun. I do about four or five days tops filming. And that you know all? what? Yeah. 
And you because I'm not in it loads, I'm only in like little bits and pieces, aren't I? Well, you say so, that, but if you feel massively present in it. Yeah, but it's in terms of actual content percentage, it's actually, you know, not low. She's highly relevant, but not in it loads. So it's a kind of weird paradox that it's the biggest thing I've ever been involved in. And yet it it's kind of, you know, me doing a tour is hours and hours and hours of being on the road, doing performance, working a show up, blah, 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 blah. And then Afterlife is literally about four or five days filming. And working with Ricky is extremely fun. Like he's so laid back. It's very breezy. He wants to get that naturalism. So you don't overthink, you don't overfilm it or shoot it because then it starts feeling sort of contrived. So it all feels like a bit of a dream. And then you wake up and go, oh, my God, I'm in this massive Netflix show that that felt like, you know, you're just hanging out with a mate and having a good time. And that's how he gets the spirit of it. It's a really weird moment and feeling, isn't it, when you're in a show that becomes um, stitched into people's conversation. When you play the person that has evoked all the upset, mm. uh, you know, it's it's very odd. Like, I can see sometimes... Years ago, I was doing the school run, and one of the mums was really into our girl. Do you remember our girl? The thing uh, I yeah, you played, you played... I played the mum. Lacey yeah. Turner's mum, Lacey yeah. Turner's mum. And this mum she was really immersed in it and she came over to me and went Kerry I'm so into our girl and then I was like oh I'm glad you're enjoying it and she just burst into tears she just was like I just can't believe you you're the mum and it's awful for you I'm like well I'm I'm all right I'm okay (laughs) (laughs) I'm an actor I'm acting but she was and that sometimes has happened with Lisa playing Lisa in in Afterlife is that people do you know they see me and it's a slight catalyst of Especially for Ben, dead. can you imagine? I mean, like yeah. poor Ben, my so husband. So Ben is your yeah. Just to explain, because I've got a son called Ben, and you yes, you know, my Ben walked down while I was watching it one night, and I was crying, and he went, "What's wrong?" And I said, <laughs> "I said it's Kerry," and he went, "Uh," and then you went. It was literally that scene where you're going, "If you're watching this, I'm no longer here," and he went, "Thanks, Mum's dead." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no. It's pretend. Yeah. Honestly, it, I mean, literally, the colour went out of him. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is really weird. And what was it like for your Ben watching? You oh, he was well, he was really upset. I mean, he went... Oh, I, I, for season one, I came back and found him in a real state. And he was like, all the upset that people are going through at the moment with this show and what this show is stirring up in them, times that by a thousand because you are my wife. So it's even more emotional and stirring yeah. you know so and and to explain to people ben is an actor as well so it's not yeah. like he doesn't grasp you know the kind of band yeah no, the, the prince job. of it but he was fully immersed in the world that ricky had created because it's such an authentic sort of little world that that tambury world you you go for it don't you commit to it when you're watching it you just get lost in it you are also bloody brilliant in it as your mate oh, no, I would, you, would, I, no honestly you are you know, if there's not a BAFTA on, on one of those shelves behind you in the next 12 months, that's a crime. <laughs> like, I, we, we, we're absolutely nuts to get a BAFTA for something that's four days filming. Like I just said, it would be associated with graft and, <laughs> you know, and, and Ardia and all the things a BAFTA should be given for, not four days of dicking about with Ricky. Which actually kind of brings me nicely to my first question. Um, I wondered if you could name three people who have 
um, changed and shaped your life? Who are they and how did they how did they kind of pivot the path that you've taken? Oh, wow. That is a really good question. I should have been more prepared, shouldn't I? And then I could have I been. don't want you to be prepared. Oh, the people don't prepare. They just go with no, it. No. Normally, also, by now. I was going to say, normally, we'd be on our second glass of wine, wouldn't we? Oh, man. We should have but done maybe this. maybe Ricky's one of them because, you know. Oh, he's you... definitely a key. He changed the course of my life, without doubt. Yeah. But I How suppose... did you first meet him? It was well, I get asked that a lot. Extras. And I always say, I don't really know. It was either extras. It was either I went on tape. I think early doors with the office, even when that was floating about, I probably went on tape for some part or another. But I and and then I did go on tape for other parts in extras, and then I got that little part in the special, the Christmas special. So I, he may well have seen me on tape. I did have a little part in Life's Too Short as well, so I shot yeah. that. Um, but I also crossed paths with him on the circuit. I remember doing a gig years ago at a club called Soho Ho and I was hosting and Robin Ince brought so Ricky and I was excellent wordplay there's so many it's like hairdressers and comedy clubs have really good puns and wordplay in the name of their clubs um my favorite is curl up and die that's the best hairdressing uh, curl up salad. and die is good curl yeah. up and die spelled in the d-y-e not the d in Ireland my favorite kebab shops are abracababra <laughs> I love it I love that. Although my favourite, favourite hairdresser name isn't a wordplay one. It's just Shez Pam in West Ealing. Nice. Shez Pam. I just want to go to Pam's place and get a perm. (laughs) (laughs) And a comb out. Yeah, totally. I'm going down to Shez Pam, get my roots done. (laughs) Um. Yeah, so I think I'm. I remember gigging with him as well. And Robin Ince brought him down to a, a, a gig, and he was doing a bit of tryout material for some benefit, and he wasn't obviously listed. And the crowd went bananas. I had to do a bit of material, and then they brought Ricky on, and he did, I think, 10 minutes to prep for this other benefit thing. So he probably saw me do a bit of material or whatever. So I think like it's a kind of patchwork of lots of different little things. Mm-hmm. And then when I got the part in Derek, again, similarly, I couldn't quite believe, like, I got an email from, I think, my agent saying, Ricky'd like to see you for this part in this thing. And I read it and I could see that it was a really great piece of work and that Hannah was a lovely part. And then I sort of, I sort of said, okay, I assume it's a normal audition and other people will be going up for it. And they were like, no, 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 he's not seeing anyone else. I spoke to Charlie, the producer, Charlie Hansen, and he said, no, I don't think he's seeing anyone else. He's he's sort of got you in mind for it. And that is kind of one of those dream moments, isn't it? You know, when you That's think... That's amazing. It's, it's almost like you're a muse of his. Like, I know that he wrote Lisa with you in mind. Like, yeah. like from the moment he started writing Lisa, you were Lisa. Yeah, it's mad. And I'm trying to write as well at the moment, trying to write scripts. And it always makes a difference if you have got someone in mind. If you've yeah. got, a, if you cast it in your head, even if it's if it's either a real actor and you're like, right, Meryl Streep's playing <laughs> Judy. Even if you're not going to get Meryl, <laughs> it does really help when you're writing because you've got your muse. And sometimes I use real actors and sometimes I use just real people. And then it kind of totally helps the writing process. So, yeah, he did ask me early on if I wanted to play Lisa and said that that helped with the development of the character. And the part of Hannah, I think, in a way, slightly similar, that 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 was how he approached casting me for Hannah. And was it the same with Lenny James? Because Save Me was also, I mean... No, Lenny, Save Me, I went for a normal audition. Yeah, it's a wonderful show. And that was much more of a traditional 
most of the time as an actor, you are going for a traditional audition and you're going up against a lot of other brilliant people and, you know, you're super lucky if you get the gig. And that was the case with with um, Save Me. And I remember reading it and loving it and just thinking this is an extraordinary piece of writing. And then, you know, when you work really hard, again, this goes back to what I was saying just now, when you work really hard on something because you're like, I really want to get that. I really want that. I love mm. the character of Teens. I put quite a lot of effort into that audition, but it was just a run of the mill audition and I'm sure lots of people were seen for it. And that was a real joy to get that one, but that was a different experience. Cause I've been up, <laughs> these are the, like the wins, but obviously there know, are hundreds and hundreds where you don't get the show, you don't get the part, you know, and that's just normal. I've known you long enough to know how hard you've worked at this. You know, when we met, our kids were super young. Yeah, we were we were like literally just eyeballs hanging out of our heads in Dulwich Park, throwing <laughs> things at ducks, just knackered. But I always felt oh, like man. we had a bit of an affinity because you and I didn't have regular jobs or regular hours. We were yeah. always trying to spin plates, and yeah. you would do a full day with the kids, and then Ben would kind of take them over and feed them, and you'd get straight in the car and and or up on a train, and you go and do a gig for the night. Yeah, you know, you're a grafter, and then suddenly everything started to fall into place just as the kids got a little bit older. Yeah, and I mean, it's beautiful. It's wonderful to see. It has been a. It's been amazing last few years where it has felt like things have all fallen more into place because for years it felt like they were really incongruous worlds where I was a stand-up on the circuit, and that's you know a job, and like you say, you just get in the car and drive off, do a gig, and get paid, and come home. And then there was the acting side where you've got these auditions, and most of the time you don't get the job, and sometimes you do, and it's a little bit part in a thing. And then I suppose after Derek, those two things clicked much more, and I started getting more profile, and then I could get more panel shows, and and I did I could come off the circuit and start touring, and you know sell tickets off my own name, and things like that started to kind of go up a gear but yeah behind that was years and years of just schlepping about so Ricky would be a key he would be someone who is a key person who else well I mean I suppose the key personal people are your parents aren't they they're sort of and my mum specifically was quite an influential person on me growing up I mean but that's you know mums are aren't they (laughs) but well yeah yeah, but not necessarily not necessarily relationships they were both my parents were always really encouraging but I suppose my mum has always been they both of them always allowed me to pursue this sort of batshit profession and I was never made to feel like embarrassed about it or that I had to justify it they always encouraged it they laughed at my stupid jokes you know when kids are like trying to make their parents laugh and you think, oh God, just go to bed. But they yeah. just but they just indulged it. They indulged it. And I kind of think that's quite key. If you end up sticking with something like this, a parent probably has played a part in that. They drove me to all my clubs when I was a teenager and took me to my drama clubs. And you know, when I got into drama school, they supported that. And I have met since people that really didn't get that support from their parents. Mm. And I, I don't think one can take it for granted, really. No, and you're doing it now that you're paying it forward with Elsie. She's she does all the, the yeah, she's into all that and... stuff. Yeah, she does. And then also, she might not want to go that way, and you kind of have to accept that as well. And that sometimes they just it's just supporting your kids doing what they want to do within reason. At the moment, she wants a navel piercing, which I'm not fully behind, but um, <laughs> it's just encouraging. 
you know, self-realization. And I suppose my mum was someone just with regard to like, not just my, you know, aspirations professionally, but she's, she's into things. She's got me on a path of curiosity, which I think is a really valuable path, especially if you want to work in the arts, you've got to be curious, haven't you? And have a, you've got to be interested for sure. Yeah, and you've, you've and also, I think it's really important that a parent allows you to dream, you know, yes, so many absolutely. people don't, I suppose some parents crave security for their kids over yeah. you know actualization of realizing your full potential as a human being especially if, if they don't understand the business because it's I mean I don't know absolutely and I've been doing no, it for years and my mum and dad aren't from that background so they really wouldn't have known but mm. she's just quite her sort of I don't know she's a bit of an old hippie my mum <laughs> and she's kind of like she's all for in a kind of feminist way really self-realization just you find your own agency and you do your thing yeah. and in a way how you measure that in terms of success she's not that materialistic she's not that bothered about you know she was never like but you need to earn money you know she'd be like of course you know you need to be independent but it wasn't driven by wealth or money or stuff like that it was about just keeping real to yourself and true to yourself and she's quite kind of um encouraging in that really which it, it does shape you it, it will does. sort of shape your nature my dad always used to say somebody's got to walk on the moon somebody's got to run this country and if you want to give it a go go and give it a go yeah see that's a brilliant way that's a brilliant I remember having that sort of epiphany once where I'd be watching telly or a play or a film or something I thought well someone's got to do that someone's yeah that is you know, well there's no reason why that one of those can't be me exactly. <laughs> and then once that moment clicks once you go I, I could have a go at that I think I'm not intimidated by that I don't feel like that's something where I'm on the outside and there are moments in this profession where you feel very much on the outside you're like I don't know how to get in there's an in and there's an out and there were years after I left drama school where I'm like I am not on the inside <laughs> and the comedy circuit did provide me with that access in a way. Like, I don't think I'd still be a performer if it wasn't for stand-up. I'd have given it, I'd have knocked it on the head years ago because I did get odds and sods and I did have an agent and I got the odd sort of four scenes on the bill or casualty, but it just wasn't enough. It was just really sort of scant. And then stand-up came into my life and then I was like, oh, I can do this. I can earn a living out of this. I can, this isn't something, this is a sort of meritocracy whereupon I can work hard, get better at something and pay to do it and mm. I quite like the live nature of it there isn't this sort of telly is this I don't know what telly is telly just does my head well it's a team time. effort for a start isn't it like if you're yeah. stand up it's you write the material you get the gig you go on stage you deliver the gig and you, yes. and you get yourself home when you're when you're doing drama or tv or a panel show whatever you are part you're a cog in a yeah in a, in in a, a very big machine system. absolutely yeah. and that is a brilliant machine and when it goes well like afterlife or save me or whatever and you feel it's such an honor to be part of that big picture but you I can't control that I have no control over that and going back to the way my mum sort of encouraged me she was always a great one for just get out there and do it and if you can't find a way to do it then find another way to do it like volunteer then go and go and do monologues at an old people's home then yeah or go and do run a little kids drama club then or just find a way to do the thing you want to do and keep doing it and that's what the circuit provided me with it was like oh I can do that I can do this and no one really can tell me not to 
to. So well, I just kept a doing petri it. dish, isn't it? Yes, it, exactly. It's like where you learn to grow. But I read, I didn't know this because he's a fellow um, local resident as well. But I didn't know that Mickey Flanagan was such a support to you in the early days. Oh yeah, no, he was great. He, I, I supported him on tour. He was a really, um, he was really encouraging because he, I sort of knew him from the circuit before he went got big. It's funny, isn't it, when people just suddenly show up, yeah, and then they're like, yeah, they're you know, he was you know, like when, you know, Saturday morning football clubs when the kids were tiny. Yeah. I don't know if you're if Frank came to the same one as Ben, but Mickey's son was was in that, ah. and you know, we'd always go, oh hello, hello, on the touchlines, and then suddenly, yeah. and then it became everywhere. really difficult for yes. him to be on the touchlines because yes. everyone was trying to get the camera phones out. And I thought, oh, come on, leave him alone. He's just a dad at Baby Booters. Leave him alone. Baby Booters. God, I remember nursing some hangovers at that. The acoustics were. Oh, brutal. But, um, yeah, he he was a circuit comic and, you know, a headliner, but still a circuit comic. And then suddenly, whoosh, you know, he took off. And he did get, I supported him on tour, which was a break as well. Yeah, that was a really big break. There was so, you realise when oh, when you've been doing this 20 odd years, there are so many people, you know, like drama mm. teachers when I was at school that were really encouraging. And then I went to drama school and met some amazing people. There was a woman called Jean Hart that taught me at drama school. And um, she was a brilliant teacher, a brilliant drama teacher. And I bumped into her on the Women's March. I was with Elsie and uh, my daughter. And I um, bumped into her with her daughter, Kate Hardy, on on the Women's March a couple of years ago, 2016, wouldn't it be? 17? January 17. And... um, and that was a real sort of giddying moment because I was like, oh, my God, Elsie, this is my, she was my, dra- this is Jean. She was my drama teacher at Rose Bruford in the 90s. And I'm sure for Jean, it was like not that big a deal because there would have been loads of students that she had an impact on. But she passed away last year or the year before. Oh. Um, but she was, she was a great woman, really influential. So there how were lots did of she, people how did, that played their part. How did she touch your life then? What was it about I her rem- that separated her? She was just a real free spirit and a really charismatic, very funny woman. Uh, if, if, when I, if I get to reach the age that Jean got to live to, she's my role model. She was really, she was not what you would define as an old lady that's rolling over. You know, she was full of spirit and uh, she was very... Uh, vocal politically she took no shit and she was a really good drama teacher because she got to the the bones of you I remember having to do this exercise at, I mean drama school is quite hard to talk about because you just sound like a wanker but there are things <laughs> that I remember like she made us do these things where she'd be like you've got to stand on stage and do nothing and of course you know you're like oh god what and then but it's actually harder than it sounds because obviously a bunch of young people start dicking about or playing the clown or pulling a face or trying to look hard or trying to look, you know, angry or whatever. And she's like, stop it. You've got to be neutral. You've got to do nothing, do nothing, do nothing. And strip you to the bones of yourself. And it was things like that when you're 18 and curious and want to learn, they're quite affecting, you know, those moments. They are quite affecting. So she was she was a really good teacher, and I remember her right back from my audition. And I remember her making a speech when because there were hundreds of us trying to audition for the college, and obviously we couldn't all get in. And I do remember her saying, "Look, most of you won't get in. Like you, you, you know, it's just not realistic. It's just basic maths." But she was like, "I don't want that then to be the end of your passion or the end of your self belief. I think it's brilliant you all came. I think you all could have all kinds of different futures. You don't." You know, it's quite inspiring meeting people like that because obviously the drama world, it can feel sometimes a bit elitist 
again, going back to that, you're either in or you're out. Yeah. And she was very much like, look, you've all got to find your own paths. You might not all get into this drama school, but, you know, it's not the end, is it, for you? Oh, I like your three people. Oh, that's good. Shout out to your mum, obviously. Yeah. That's going to be a bit pissed off about that. Let's well, my dad's a key them. player as well. <laughs> there my we go. We covered that one. <laughs> <laughs> but you only want three. I think they'd be together. They're a unit, my mum and dad. Yeah. And uh, Ricky and Mickey. The nice. Ricky and Mickey, yeah. Ricky and, and Mickey. And Jean, yeah. Okay, so your next question. So can I ask you to whip out your moral compass and tell me what are some of your own personal rules that you refuse to break? See, that is so good, but I don't ha- no, don't know quite how to articulate my interior moral compass in a pithy response that is going to be of any value <laughs> to anyone else of my brain. It doesn't have to be of value to anyone else. It's just what's yeah. valuable to you. Just, I mean, just to, like you say, Echo, what you say, just to try and be kind to yourself and other people. And that isn't something that is, uh, it's very hard to stick with that as a human being because you're fallible to, you know, the slings and arrows of emotions and Mm -hmm. the world doesn't go the way you want it to sometimes. And it's frustrating and you can only control your responses to those frustrations you know I I get cross frequently from anything from ranging from where did I leave that pair of scissors to why is Boris Johnson running this country and (laughs) they're all things that are on the outside of me and my responses to those things are within my control Mm. and it and it's just trying to keep your hands on the rein of that and things like you know meditation yoga things like that can help and just trying not to um allow yourself to get out of control too often because I always feel crappy when I get if I get too angry or too upset I mean you have to let feelings throw go through you as well sometimes you just are angry and you are upset and you might as well just sort of be with it for a bit but allowing that to pass through and go right I I now can't dwell on this there's no point in dwelling on this and, yeah. and move on. And yeah, because actually you, you, you learn as you get older, don't you, that you can re- really try to only change the things that you can actually change. If something's unchangeable, then yeah. it's just a wasted energy and a negative toxicity to sort of yeah, keep showering effort on it and getting bloody nowhere. Yeah, That's... and keep like, and getting nowhere and then fixating on it. And then just, mm. and especially because we've got the internet, so we can just really dig right down there and you know hang out with all those bad thoughts and feelings and it's like oh this doesn't serve me this isn't serving me so just having a bit of self-control about you know trying to bob and weave (laughs) around you know (laughs) negative stuff and try but also learning from it like learning from the negative stuff because the biggest lessons are the hardest ones that you know no absolutely and it's really hard as a parent seeing your kid on the precipice of like this new you know and you go oh shit you're at the foothills I mean I've done Mm. years of getting it wrong falling down reading a self-help book getting back up having my heart broken fixing it getting back in the saddle all the metaphors and she's got to do all that from scratch and you Mm. go oh mate 
And it's painful, <laughs> isn't it? Because I think, you know, Elsie and Ben are pretty much a year apart. Yeah. You're watching them now, like, suffer hurt feelings. Yeah. Disappointment at a friend's behaviour. Mm-hmm. Disappointment at missing out on something that they've worked really hard at. And you've told them, if you work really hard, you'll get there in the end. And then, do you know what? Some kid that just has got it innately built in them to just do it without any prep or yeah. hard work gets it. Because that's life. Yeah. And then you're going, they're going, but you said if I worked really hard, you're like, I know. yeah, I know. I'm an it's asshole. just really hard. It's, it's so hard. Just sort of do your best to support them through all that crap, you know, and know that it'll be And also right. let them and not try to keep repairing the puncture that is disappointment in their life because they've got to learn from it. Mm. That's really hard. Those difficult feelings and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is hard. And it's taken me a long time to... um work that out for myself and but it has to be your own realization and journey you can't it's you're, you know I can't just take that data and, and put it in her head put it in her head it's it's sort of the as much as you would love to yeah you know exactly. as much as you would love to but it's that kind of you know especially with I think female relationships become far more advanced and more complicated than boys relationships so you're probably having to you know, listen to Elsie navigate a lot of, of that at the minute. Yeah, and that, and that's exasperated by lockdown as well. You sort of feel yeah. like the, the value of... Because, of course, there's the key friend, your best friend. She's got some lovely best friends, and they're in touch all the time, probably talking now because I'm not supervising. Um, <laughs> but then there's all these other people, aren't there? There's these peripheral people that are in our lives and their lives. They're all part of that, you know, they're part of their world. Even if it's someone that you think isn't your mate or that you're feuding with, there's all learning and something to glean from that or a bloke mm. or a boy that you've got a crush on and you don't even speak, but you've had eye contact. All that's gone. All that's not happening. Yeah. I'm actually for a young girl on the, on, you know, at the foothills of being a teenager. Yeah. That's massive. Just eye contact. That, Just that fizz. Yeah. Fizz, doesn't yeah. it? Like, and who's like, going to the end of term disco or whatever they yeah. call it. And I just think, oh, all that nuance, it's gone. It's just not happening. That is that is stripped out of our lives. Right, your last question, and then I'll let you get back to homeschooling. Oh no, no, please. Do you want another ten questions? (laughs) Ask me loads of questions. (laughs) Um, In lockdown, we've kind of been living life on a loop. Really, it's Groundhog. Yeah, pretty much. If you could find a moment from your life to live again, time and time again on a loop, what moment would that be? Every time I do a podcast with someone, I'm always like, this is really good. (laughs) It's quite successful, Kerry. You might want to check it out. My wedding day was a lovely day. And, you know, you're surrounded by all the people that you love. And, and you never get to sort of um, soak see it up, them all. do you? No, you don't get to soak yeah. it all up. So if you wanted to literally sort of think of the economy of getting everyone together and hoarding them yeah. all for one day, um, I'd probably choose my wedding day. When was it you and Ben got married? We got married 2009. Elsie was one at our wedding and she's 13 now. So, yeah, yeah 2000. she was born 2007. So we got married 2008. There we are, 2008. There you go. Welcome, yeah. babe. Yeah. <laughs> that Carol Vorderman's right. with us. <laughs> oh, God. 
Not so good at the sums. But um, yeah, she. Yes. Ben would have known that straight off the bat as well, wouldn't oh, he? Oh, totally. Frank would have. What? Tell me about your wedding day because I didn't. Oh, I, I, it was lovely. I didn't go. No, I, I didn't know you then because I. Um, no. You just had that is the thing about weddings, isn't it? Because you just um, you there are lots of people that you've lost touch with. I'm looking at a wedding picture now to sort of get this going in my head. There are people I've lost touch with in that photo of my wedding day, and there are people that I've yet to meet. So it's a it locks down your social life at that on that day. Yeah, so it's funny. uh, I remember meeting. um, I did this job not that long after I got married, the thing called Home Time and Rebecca Staten was in it. And I remember Rebecca, she's lovely. She's very funny. And we really got on and she said, um, I said, oh, I got married a few months ago. And she was like, I remember her saying, she did make me laugh. I can't do her accent. But she said, um, you're going to wish that we'd met before your wedding so that I could have been there. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, what a great line. You're going to I was at your wedding. I was like, yeah. Supreme confidence. Yeah, supreme confidence. Very funny. <laughs> but um, it's true because there are people I've met since that I'm like, oh, I wish you'd been at my wedding. We could have had a good dance. But then there was. Where some... did you get married? We got where, married. Where, where was it? Uh, we got married in a Unitarian church because they don't charge much. So churches are quite cheap, but you've got to pretend to be religious. So that's a bit of a dance. So a Unitarian <laughs> church, they let you have a secular service. Whereas if you have a completely um like if you get married in a registry office you're not allowed to use any sort of god speak or jesus speak friend of mine had one of them and her sister um bonnie's sister kate wanted to sing say a little prayer and they went oh no you can't because it's the sort of language of church 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 talk so they're quite specific about what you are and aren't allowed in a secular marriage and so yeah. it's mad, isn't it? Now I'm looking back. Yeah. So we wanted a sort of humus, humanitarian, one of them sort of vibes. Um, but we wouldn't mind a bit. I don't mind a bit of God. I'm happy with a bit of God talk. I don't mind all the talk. So, um, <laughs> I'm, you know, say a little prayer. Come on. Get Aretha yeah. out. Yeah. So, um, so we went for a Unitarian church in Notting Hill, near Notting Hill Gate. And the woman who ran the church, priest, vicar, woman in charge she was very yeah. laid back and she was like you can have bits of uh christianity you can have bits of humanism you can have bits of islam you, can you, can what you want you can have the service you want and it was only 250 quid and it was a lovely building so, <laughs> so we got married there and it was proper legal it was like um because sometimes when you have a marriage in like a sort of pretty place in battersea park you've then got to do the legals another day separately yeah it's yeah, quite yeah. complex, isn't it? So sometimes those people that get married on a beach somewhere, that's not oh, actually a legally binding no. ceremony. No, they've been in a registry office up the road. Exactly. Two so days I was before. like, oh, what, two days? So this was one, it was a one-day one deal. <laughs> so you could have the service you wanted and it was legally binding. So 250 we, quid all in. Brilliant. All in. I mean, if they'd thrown in a buffet, I'd have been happy to pay an extra 40 quid. I bet, I bet you blow more than that on your Ricardos in lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> So we had the service there and then we had the party on Battersea Barge. So it was a really lovely day. It was a re- I really enjoyed our wedding. My only regret was that I didn't spend a little bit more on the dress because I got an old woman to make it for like literally 100 quid. I didn't have a lot of money at the time, Kate. And um, I found the old lady because I remember I was doing a job at the time and I think the wardrobe, one of the women who worked in the wardrobe department, I said, I want to get a wedding dress, but I don't want to pay. I want a sort of 50s retro dress. But I don't, there was this place... Um, that used to make them, but they were like, I mean, wedding dresses. That's one of those things that I just, 
I just couldn't bring myself to spend thousands of pounds on a dress I literally was going to wear once. I just couldn't. But also, I've never understood, why are they so much more expensive oh, than any other mad. kind of dress? Mad. And I did look for a vintage one. So I looked all around Portobello and all the markets to find a vintage one. But in olden times, women were tiny. <laughs> tiny tiny women that got married in the 40s and 50s and yeah. also these dresses were falling apart so I couldn't get a second hand one anyway so this woman who worked in the wardrobe department she said oh I know an old woman on an estate that makes wedding dresses <laughs> I was like she's the woman for me and she made my wedding dress and I remember because she put a spider do you know this tradition about spiders in wedding, dre- wedding dresses no she put like a spider anyway I googled it I scared the crap out of me when I got the dress and I went to put it on I was like ah! there's a bloody spider in it and someone said oh it's an old it's like an old wives tale thing google it spiders in a wedding dress it's a thing arachnophobic brides might shudder but finding a spider in your wedding dress is said to bring good luck to the marriage according to old English folklore old English folklore so she was an old I'd rather find 50 quid <laughs> yeah but I want when you get married, you want all that shit, don't you? You suddenly it decide. Oh, it was it, it was wasn't plastic. a life. It was a oh. plastic. Like clearly, mm. I don't know who she was. She probably doesn't exist anymore. Like she's she wasn't real. She was like something from, you know, Lord <laughs> of the Rings. She was an old woman, and she was making these dresses and putting bloody spiders in them based on an old English folklore. folklore. So she put a spider in it. And but anyway, the dress was very basic and sweet, but it fell apart by the end of my wedding day. It was coming out when I was doing YMCA. The wiring was. And <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for doing this today, my love. Oh, I really enjoyed it, Kate. Thank you. And um, the one good thing that has come out of lockdown is a lots of people have been sat at home, including Ricky Gervais, who has confirmed that he is writing season three of Afterlife. Yeah, yeah. I'm but at the end of Afterlife, t- oh, you are. Oh, good. Yeah. So what happens then? I need, I mean, I, I, all I know for definite is I am still dead. Because I did see, like, some people, <laughs> some people are like, why don't you do a prequel? So it's like your life with Lisa before yeah. the thing. really the spirit of the thing. It's like the whole show is about his grief. So if I'm, if he's not grieving, then it isn't the same no, show. He's you know? not, yeah. Yeah, you're right. So you're speaking to Ricky tomorrow. I did see him just before lockdown, but, and you know he touches base with a lot of the cast through the writing process but obviously because of circumstances we haven't been able to do that like sometimes you even have like little workshops or chats where you kind of you know can talk stuff up and read little scenes that he's written and things like that but obviously we haven't been able to do that so I'm having a FaceTime with him tomorrow to just catch up and I mean, part of me, as a, as, a, as a reviewer, really wanted him to kind of move on and find love with Ashley Jensen. But the other part of me thinks, absolutely not. You're married to my, your, your, your dead wife is my friend. <laughs> she wouldn't like it. Lisa she wouldn't would like it. I know she said move on. She does not mean that. Do you absolutely, have you ever understood a woman that said something and actually fripping meant it in that context? No, absolutely. I think Lisa is just this, she really is a better person than me though. I mean, every time I think, God, these lines, I mean, would I say that to my Ben? Would I go, yeah, you crack on, you have another, get yourself another wife when I'm gone. I don't know if I would have the... the would you say one. that? That's a good question. Would you I say that? Know. Well, you'd want to, wouldn't you? Because, you know that would be the right thing to do. But that's what that's what Tony is going through, just that awful, horrible reality that his soulmate has gone. And what does moving on look like? It's one of the most incredible scripts um, I've, I've ever had the pleasure of sitting through, season one and season two. 
I can't wait for season three. And I'm glad you're still dead. And I'm glad you're still in it. I'm just as curious as the audience are to know what happens next. What's going to come out of his brain. Do you feel as well that like sometimes you're, um, he's almost written you as Jane, his real life partner? Oh, there's a lot of that. I mean, him and Jane, you know, who've been together for eight. Forever. Yeah, so they've been together an awfully long time. And there is a lot of Jane. I mean, sometimes when he's telling me what he's going to do with Lisa and Tony or whatever, and I just go, oh, poor Jane. Because I think <laughs> Jane's done this. You've done this with Jane, haven't you? You've pranked her or you've done something. You know those tweets you make when, she, when they're on a lovely walk and she's watching her. And he goes, there's Jane with all her mates. I think, you sod. Bloody hell. Poor Jane. But she's brilliant. She just... She yeah. is amazing, Jane. They're a real team, aren't they? And, and actually, we should give her a shout out because if you're in lockdown and you're looking for some good books to read, Jane Fallon has a back catalogue of really great novels and I would really recommend. Uh, but thank you so, so much. And oh, I really God. hope that we get to see you live sometime this year. Oh, and me too. Thank you. Thank you so much. White Wine Question Time is produced by me, Kate Thornton, and Richard Heatherall for Yahoo UK with Callum Goddard Mucklow on editing duties. Before we sign off, I just wanted to say a very personal and heartfelt thank you to Caitlin Mercer, who has moved on to a very swanky new job, but has been with me on White Wine Question Time since its inception. And her guiding hand, her wit, her humour and her editorial nous has no doubt shaped and helped the show to grow into the hit that it's become. So Caitlin, we will miss you and we raise our glasses to you. Good luck in your new job and don't be afraid to come back if it doesn't work out, okay? Hmm. Now, as always, music is provided by Andy Bell, whose back catalogue is available on iTunes and Spotify. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at WhiteWineQT. And don't forget, you can listen to us at home on your in-home smart speakers. Just say, OK, Google or Alexa, take me to White Wine Question Time. And there you go. We'll be piped into the comfort of your home. Easy peasy. Right, well, that's it for this week. I'll be back next week with another amazing guest. And until then, please try to do as we always do here and drink responsibly. Listener.